Welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast. I'm your host, Paul Dager. In today's episode, we meet Marissa Alonzo Ackerman. Melissa is a family-first human kindness advocate and a tenured communicator who, like many, is discovering her version of mindfulness. Her experience as a special needs mom to a son with nonverbal autism has helped strengthen her journey and fine-tune her ability to understand emotional and nonverbal communication and help enhance her ability as an empath. Gratitude, patience, and resilience are her three favorite responses to everyday life. Please enjoy this discussion with Marissa on her mindfulness journey. Marissa, thank you. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today and having a conversation about mindfulness. Where would you like to begin our conversation today? Well, thank you, Paul, for having me on. I would love to hear, I guess, how you define mindfulness. And I kind of am curious because I, I want to see if it kind of lines up with what I think maybe mindfulness is. Is, is that maybe a place we could start? Is- yeah, I'm just thinking, do I do the old <laughs> therapist trick of, well, what do you think it is? <laughs> I could tell you what I think first. But yeah, I take mean, a run at it. Be I'm, brave, be bold. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought mindfulness was trying to find your inner peace, basically. Am I, okay. am I right? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Okay, and because we all have very chaotic lives in some way or another. Mine is, at least. <laughs> so it's uh, that yes. moment, <laughs> you know, or moment, or if you could have a really long moment to yourself. That's what I've always thought it was, but I'm, I'm not sure if that's the real definition or, or not. Well, let's not worry about the real definition, yeah. air quotes. When you say find that inner peace, what does that look and feel like for you? Well, I take that definition mostly because I myself suffer sometimes with general anxiety. I've had in the past therapists tell me mindfulness is one way to go. And when I've talked through it, they were kind of like, kind of go towards like meditation and inner peace, meaning like just a moment to calm your brain and not be thinking about everything all at once, which when you have anxiety or that you're or tend to be like, exactly, <laughs> you're tending to always be on the go. And so yeah. that's what I always assumed it is. And but to me, I guess like, I feel that I achieve that form of that is like through music. So for me, I like oh, cool. listening to music. That's the time I actually feel like my brain is actually kind of like relaxing and I'm not so much all over the place. So a relaxed brain, what it's not is all over the place. Yeah. So when you're listening to music, what does a relaxed brain look and feel like? It's like when you're at a concert and it's just everything in the room feels so right. You know, the mm. music great. The people around you are all on the same level. Their experience is the same. I mean, I've been to concerts where people are crying because it's just like you're wow. just feeling like, like a very positive emotion. So I guess okay. I've always thought maybe that's what they mean. You know, trying to change okay. the positive, not get away from the negative because there's so much negative going on. Okay. What I'm hearing is you're bringing up some really key points. And what I yeah. enjoy is we're going we're gonna to come up with the definition today okay. based upon your experience. Rather than going, what do the experts say? Yeah. Hearing that there's this quality of, and this is where a lot of times mindfulness gets a bad rap that it's very selfish and self-centered. And when you describe at a concert, there's this relational part of your experience involves other people, which is really cool. I feel like maybe there's various ways to have that moment of, I guess, like 
what would be considered mindfulness. Like myself, I feel like that's when I have had those really positive feelings is whenever yeah. I'm in a concert setting. But I've had moments like that where I'm alone and I'm journaling. I'm a big writer. The, the thing that I really want to highlight that you're mentioning is some people get hung up in mindfulness equals meditation. I can't meditate. Therefore, I will not have mindfulness yeah. in my life. And I want to dispel some myths here. And what I hear you describing is whether it's a concert, listening to music or journaling, certain conditions mm -hmm. make mindfulness that experience more conducive and that there's not one way to to get there. There's this beautiful metaphor about the experience of mindfulness is like the sun and the clouds. Mm. This innate capacity. So it's not like something from the outside. Mindfulness is an innate human capacity. And when we feel that like we're out of touch with it, like you mentioned brain being all yeah. scattered or anxious and too much energy, and that's like the clouds it doesn't mean that this capacity is gone. All of us have certain conditions we're drawn towards, mm. which allow us to more easily access it. And that's what I'm hearing you making a list of. But yeah, in the concert, I was just feeling so many mm. emotions. Yeah, that those, those conditions allow you to access this capacity. Yeah. And I, I really think that's an important message for listeners to hear. Sitting quietly on a cushion with your legs crossed is not the only way to tap into this. It's not the yeah. only way. This idea of like a collective mindfulness experience I hear you describing that yeah. I think is really cool. I feel like awe and chills at the same time as you <laughs> describe it because I think about the state the world is in and like, yeah. let's create more of these experiences for groups so that we can find this other side of being human that I think we really need right now. I saw this video. It was, again, going off like the collective experience of mindfulness. They had gone in a, a football uh, stadium, thousands of bands that came together to play Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit all together. So it's like all, thousands, oh, wow. all at once, like <laughs> thousands of guitars, thousands of drums, thousands of people singing the song. Cool. And it kind of gave you chills to be there probably was like an experience for them. It's like, I feel like those are the experiences you're putting out positive energy, which we mm -hmm. do need more of <laughs> in the world we live in. Yeah. And in finding that, you know, one thing we talk about mindfulness is intention, setting the intention to experience something as opposed to a goal that's in the future and you have to get to it. Ed Podville talked about this idea of islands of clarity. And he was working with folks like extreme states like schizophrenia. Oh, wow. And even with, with folks with that severe of mental illness, what he found is they have these moments too. And part of his treatment approach was creating a space for them to connect with that, those clarity and think about the chaos of our lives and going 20 directions. And when we have these moments of feeling this calm connection, peacefulness, mm -hmm. that's always available to us, but our lives get so yeah. distracted, we miss out on it. I feel like there's so many different ways that we probably could tap into those moments, but we just live in a society that's very centered around you know, productivity, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to be productive. What you need to do to yeah. money and everything like that it would be nice to see more focused on mindfulness or even just mental health and so that's something that I think about often actually because you do see a lot of people in not very good states of mind and and it's like you know if we had more moments that we're just kind of just we're all here just to hang out or we're all here just to have this like really nice moment between us maybe we would have I mean I'm not 
I'm no doctor, but maybe we'd have less negative things happening in the world. You're not a doctor, but you're a human being, which <laughs> yeah, to me exactly. is even more more credibility. <laughs> yeah. As far as this idea of expert mind versus beginner's mind, you know what we need. Go ahead and put it out there in the world. What do we need more of, Marissa? Yeah. <laughs> what what we're lacking is like the ability to be human to each other to like realize we're all only here for a glimmer of time everyone Mm -hmm. has their own personal journey how we treat each other here it will forever be imprinted in your mind maybe it comes out in the way we have our anxieties or whatever it is a lot of things you see nowadays is people are just so upset and and frustrated and that's valid we still got to realize we're all kind of going through things what we don't what is it let's say say you don't know everyone's journey be kind because you don't know someone's personal life at the end of the day yeah what pain or suffering they're going through exactly um, full disclosure like out driving and like there's someone who you know the light turned green and they're just sitting there and my wife is a really good reminder of take three breaths before you honk the horn mm. so it could be something small in their life like they just got an email from the boss you know, mm. that didn't say why we want to meet it too, or it could be they just lost someone in their life. I, I got to say my best mindfulness teacher is my wife. I want to give her a shout out because yeah, she gives me these, she's the, the kindest person that I know and also the most fierce when it comes to justice and fairness in life. She reminds me that, you know, just because I'm this mindfulness teacher, I'm not a hundred percent, you know, putting this into practice. And so I guess back to that relational part, we need reminders in life. Talking to folks like you is a really good reminder of, yeah, I, I can be kind and positive and, and peaceful in life. What if we all did that? Like for the next five minutes, what would that look like? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even just five minutes, right? Collectively, (laughs) it's interesting because a long time ago, someone was telling me, did you know that our brain actually categorizes things like that is just like the nature of your your brain said is that why we specifically categorize ourselves as people race religion whatever it is is that why you know and they're like could be you don't necessarily have to categorize everything you know we're all human at the end of the day to me i'm like is the categorization helping or hurting or what does that look like if we ignored it for a second maybe that's when we would achieve like those five minutes of just like okay we're all we're all one for a second. Yeah. Set it aside. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with the brain science piece, this idea that our minds and brains have developed efficiencies. Yeah. Because we can't process everything. And I think when you talk about the categories, that is a, a brain processing efficiency. Yeah. That may, as you said, make us more productive, but at what cost? Yeah. And getting stuck in that mode like when you're at the concert, it's almost like those categories fade away. Yeah. To me, they do. I don't notice who's who in a room when I'm listening to a really good concert. You know, when I'm at a concert, I'm like, I'm just there to listen to music. I might be like, wow, look at that guy. He's like really into it. Because at that concert I was mentioning, there was this one guy, I mean, he was into it. He was dancing. I just noticed it because he was like, obviously doing something different than everyone else was doing in a positive way. Like, I don't, yeah, I'm in a positive yeah. mindset, so I'm not looking for anything negative in the moment, anything distracting of the moment. Right, and I'm hearing that when there is a a difference noted, there's a celebrating of that difference yeah. as opposed to a reacting to it. My husband is actually a white guy, and there was a Mexican band. In general, there was 
he was actually one of the only ones that were white amongst us all. And at the beginning of the concert, you know, I, I was just teasing him a little bit. But then everything fades away. You're, you don't know yeah. who's who in a room, how many male versus female are in a room, who's this race. You're just there because you're like, we all like this band. We mm-hmm. all wanted to listen to the band today. And that's, yeah. I think, is the important piece at the end of the day. I think you just added to our evolving definition of mindfulness, <laughs> where this these categories begin to fade away. Yeah. And there's more direct contact with the other people and the experience, not a filter of a categories in between. Like, as we're talking of like, I guess that it would be how I would define it. You get credit for this definition. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think maybe hopefully that would resonate to a lot of people and maybe they feel the same way, whether it's music for them or they're at a book club or something and they're like, okay, we all like the same book. I don't care who you are. We are all here to read a book together and and discuss it. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's why it is actually important to have time in groups and by yourself because there's a lot of people in the world. So you have to be able to know how to be among them, but also have your moments to yourself as well. We've got to learn how to be among (laughs) them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. (laughs) Mark Leonard is a a mindfulness advocate who is all about social mindfulness. He's constantly kind of railing against mindfulness being overly focused as an individual pursuit. It's like you, you're mm-hmm. kind of missing the boat. And that's what I'm hearing you describe. So you have you have a lot more wisdom here than you think you do on <laughs> mindfulness. Well, that we can't, that no <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If we miss out on the, the social relational aspect, we're dropping the ball and, and the real potential of accessing this capacity. I, I mean, I feel that way. At least like I, you said, that's my definition of mindfulness. And it does evolve. You know, I have children, so don't get me wrong. I still like, I guess. Get along with those little people too. Yeah. Like (laughs) I still like sometimes having my moment to myself. I go to the other room. I watch my shows that I like. I'll have my glass of wine. I'll have a few hours to myself with nobody around. Nobody texting me, calling me. I'm like, this is my moment. And I think there is something too. again, I, I want to use this podcast to expand people's understanding and how personal practice can look different ways. And I think you're speaking to someone who's more extroverted may need more of those group activities versus more introverted may need more of that separation time for refilling themselves. Again, another key point I think you're bringing up is what are some considerations? What is going to be my path to accessing mindfulness may look different than yours. Yeah, I agree. Paul, I'm curious. I would love to know your definition of mindfulness. Oh, sure. (laughs) You know, like Uh, uh, what you learned, because maybe it speaks to me and maybe I can even incorporate it in my practices for myself. Yeah, yeah. Ask 20 different mindfulness teachers the definition of mindfulness. You'll get 20 different variations Mm -hmm. on that answer. A lot of times you'll see definitions paying attention and that's it. It stops. Like, well, you can be really hypercritical of yourself (laughs) and others while you're paying because you're paying attention and picking apart everything about them and you. So it's not just paying attention. It's, as I, I like to quote John Kabat-Zinn, it's paying attention in a particular or special way. As we notice things either inside or around us, how do we greet those observations? And there's the qualities. I've seen from five to nine different qualities listed. I tend to go with the, a core five as a starting point. Classically, it's non-judging, non-striving. And how do you not do something? I had a wonderful other teacher I worked with many years ago who changed it to suspending judgment and striving. Mm. And then I hear people say, well, 
not judging's great, but I can't stop that. Yeah. And my first yeah, like response is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because I think there is a certain evolutionary advantage to to judging and striving. It's never that those are bad things. It's when we get stuck in those modes mm. that we detach from the moment and ourselves and other beings. The first way to stop judging is to notice when you're doing it. That makes sense. I can you, see you, that. Yeah, because you can't notice something and do it at the same time. Uh, that makes sense because that is maybe something I already do myself too, which is great. Sweet. Well, great. Yay. I'm like Look on the you. same page as it. Because <laughs> well, I was actually going to ask you too, how do you practice mindfulness around people that might not be mindful? Like how that seems difficult. I will say I have people in my lives that are a little judgy uh, all the time. <laughs> and I tell them, I'm like, oh, you should, you know, like this isn't helping. This is actually making you feel like negative right now why would you even yeah how do you keep up your mindfulness around that kind of energy for yourself like i'm just so curious what you've learned so maybe i could try to challenge myself to do better again (laughs) my wife isn't in the room to rat me out because i'm not 100 percent on this if we continue to walk through the five core qualities acceptance or allowing Mm. comes to mind you talk about being around someone who is irritating, annoying, just downright pain in the butt. Having a moment of allowing my reaction to that and not having to act from that, this moment of feeling it fully of my reaction, which is like, come on, knock it off, or maybe (laughs) full-blown like irritation and anger. Yeah. Fully allowing my being okay with my reaction to them allows me to not have to act from that place. Now, it's funny because I've been teaching this stuff 20 years and I noticed that my metaphors are getting outdated. So I like to talk about driving <laughs> stick and I realize not only do people have automatics, they have electric cars. Do you drive stick or have you driven? One time only. I love driving stick and that third pedal, the clutch, yeah, disengages the engine from the wheels. I use that metaphor of the engine could be revving Mm. you know, way up into the red and the car sits still. And to me, that's what acceptance and allowing is Uh, like. I can disengage that emotional reaction from behavior. And then we can call upon another mindfulness quality of curiosity, like what happens if I don't do what I always do? Yeah. So that the old definition of insanity of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Yeah. I find that if I allow and accept my reaction and don't act from it. Then I get curious, what other options are there for me? And what other options are there for the other person? Because a lot of times the other person is expecting a certain reaction. And it's Uh almost like we have our two (laughs) scripts and we're ready to read our, and if I put my script down, not only do I have more options, and sometimes I find that people get kind of caught off guard because they're ready to kind of defend their position. Oh, yes. If you don't play that game, then like, oh, what do we do now? Yeah. And what do we do now to me is a wonderful spot to be in because now we've got choices. Yeah, you're like, now we don't have to go down the road. We've always gone down it. We have these arguments or whatever it is. Now that makes sense. And I feel like that's something I'm going to think about. Well, from the sounds of it, sounds like I am pretty mindful. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) I didn't didn't know. I'm going to try to keep staying in that way. My life is so chaotic. So are so many people's. I I, yeah. I understand that. I have a son with special needs. So it is crucial in this family mm. for us yeah, yeah. To, to stay in the right mind. And you know, every now and then you'll get those dips in where you're just like, everything is awful. Everything sucks. <laughs> like, you know, everything's mm-hmm. going the worst way possible. But then when you 
turn to the things that help you get back into that mindset is is what has helped me especially in this it's been a difficult season of life over here for the last yeah several months and oh right there with you yeah, yeah i mean i know a lot of us are different what is it different boats but same same waves <laughs> yeah like we're all just kind of <laughs> like what's happening next i've tried to stay positive and i mm-hmm. think well, I think it was like Betty White. She lived such a long life and she had said, and my mom tells me this often too, to be honest, not just Betty White. My mom says, life, it's not supposed to be all great, actually. Sorry to burst your bubble. Yeah. But it's not yeah. going to be good all the time. And right. there will be horrible experience. I mean, death, everything. I mean, all that is just normal life experiences. And it's the way mm-hmm. you deal with them at the end of the day. That's going to be how you are because yeah, yeah. You deal with things negatively you make it worse mm-hmm. I, I try to keep that mind in my mind often we have a special needs son as well Noah is on the autism spectrum you yeah. bring to mind mindfulness quality of patience i sometimes do the guy thing and tried to be headstrong and like if he was in a certain space but something has to get done yeah. force it to get done and through the school of multiple failures yeah. <laughs> that I've learned that there's times where I just got to be patient and let him ride through what he's going through. Yeah. That I think patience is another key aspect here of I may not like my experience. I may not like what's going down. As long as everyone's safe, then I've got to be. It reminds me when we lost containment and we went from a crib to a daybed. <laughs> yes, Every I parent know the out there well. shaking their head. Yeah. <laughs> The route that we took was sitting outside an open door. Mm. So there was some space, but there also was, I'm here for you. Yes. And I'd be out sitting between the two rooms and my head just kind of dropping. And I kept thinking, I know I can wait you out, little man. Yeah. And that's, that's <laughs> you're the, like, that's what's going to be going. <laughs> I'm clinging to that right now. And I think yeah. that maybe, you know, for folks who maybe don't have a formal mindfulness practice, but if you're a parent, you know patience. Yeah. Because there's times where we just have to wait the kiddo out. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking to the choir. And yeah. You're right. I mean, a tremendous amount of patience and trying to understand things. My son's nonverbal. That is also like trying to understand. That's why energy Interpret. so- Yeah, like energy is so important to me, understanding energy. My son may not speak verbally, but I can tell you, okay, he's getting sick. I can tell because he's doing this, this, this. I might not know yeah. exactly what the sickness is, but I can tell he's getting sick. Or I can tell you he's very, very tired or he's very hungry, you know, yeah. and it's because we, you have to kind of understand it by interpreting nonverbal behaviors and communication and picking up on that energy that they are putting out. I guess that helps well, with the mindfulness practices at the end of the day. Well, I was going <laughs> to totally go there. If you have a, a child who speaks in other ways, yeah, you are accessing mindfulness and practicing setting aside judgment and striving, practicing acceptance, curiosity, and patience to be able to understand how is he speaking to me right now without yeah. words. You, There's no other way. So I, yeah. I want to say you may be a mindfulness master and not even know it. <laughs> Well, that's exciting because sometimes, you know, as you know, as as just humans and parents and sometimes yeah. you feel like you're the master of none <laughs> in the moment. You're like, you're yes. like, I'm the master of nothing right now. You know, everything's yeah. going. It, it's nice and it's validating sometimes to hear it, even from strangers or whoever. You're just like, they see it. <laughs> like, you know, they yeah. see me. Yeah. And I didn't see me in that way in, the, in, you know, for so long. So thank you for that, Paul. Well, and coming back to the, the categorizing thing that, yeah. yeah, to be able to be receptive to communication done another way. Yeah. 
that you really do have to drop categories because words yeah. are are categories. And so now it's opening to eyes or gestures or movements. Yeah. To be able to piece those together into understanding what's he need, you've got to be dropping down categories that tend to get in the way of interpreting that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We can see his frustration. We can feel the frustration he's having. Right, and right. So now he's you know using a device and it's a lot better and he's starting to get the hang of it. But yeah, I mean, it's also taken up on a lot of moments intuition i guess you know parents mm -hmm. it's not a straight line at all when it comes to no <laughs> yeah yeah we really have covered i think many different ways of i was gonna say defining mindfulness but i want to say actually of more importantly experiencing it yeah from concerts to to understanding our children and and if that's the takeaway we share today that it's not just sitting quietly in the corner and waiting for the gong to go off. But there's there's many ways. And and I think ultimately, when I teach mindfulness, I talk about sort of three different ways. There's a continuum of awareness is one understanding. There's tools and techniques. And then there's living from this place. Mm. And that's what I want to honor that I hear that you you live from this place. Like you didn't even know you're doing it. And <laughs> Yeah, and that that is as humans, this is our our birthright, being able to access and show up in this way. Again, if we can get the world to do this for five minutes, yeah. So from people listening to you today, if they can recognize I do do this for five minutes, then that's a good day. Yes. Well, thank you, Paul. I mean, thank you for allowing me to talk with you today. I mean, this has been such a great conversation. Really, oh, yeah, I have yeah. opened up my eyes to. Like you said, I had no idea. I'm like, okay, I am mindful. That's something I could like go around and say today. Hey, guess what? Own that. <laughs> I know. I'm mindful, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Um, Marissa, yeah, it's just been a pleasure hanging out and chatting with you. And I can't wait for people to hear this and learn from it. Learn from your life and your experience about how they are a mindfulness master. Didn't even know it. Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Dager. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Romack who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychum. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in our next episode.